Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. partners howdy welcome to the bad taste crime (laughs) podcast i'm janelle i'm viggy are you ready yeah are you ready cowboys you ready partner cow thems (laughs) what uh uh we're gonna have a rootin' tootin' time rootin' tootin' varmint yeah (laughs) fuck them welcome oh my gosh that's a little easter egg for you later yeah (laughs) Oh, man. If this is your first time listening, a special hello to you. Very exciting show, I guess. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be something. <laughs> partner. Um, I, I'm trying to think so of so gender neutral. I love it. Patty <laughs> partner. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I guess we'll just, we'll In, just get into, into the podcast. <laughs> yes. So first, let's head over to the newsroom. This week, our news comes from New York City, um, where actually the city... The very opposite of the West. <laughs> yeah, the very opposite of the West. Um, the city of New York is actually suing Hyundai and Kia... alleging that um, they are causing a public nuisance because (laughs) they're accusing the car manufacturers of failing to install a device that prevents the cars from being stolen. So, (laughs) Okay. um, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but uh, there was a TikTok challenge Mm -hmm. that had to do with breaking into cars using fuck TikTok, man. A USB cable to hotwire cars. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so there was this rise in thefts of specifically Hyundai and Kia vehicles. Um, According to CNBC, Chicago saw a jump of 800% year on year in the theft of these cars for the month of August 2022. I just, I mean, eight hundred percent. They're also just ugly. On top of that, don't yeah. buy them. <laughs> hey, I mean, 
I have a Hyundai, but <laughs> fine. The new ones? No. Yeah. Oh, the new ones are ugly. The new Sonatas I really like. I just The new can't. Sonatas are really Everything's cool. Everything's so round. I don't like it. Just rounded corners. I like, well, I also don't like a two-pointy either. Like too harsh, <laughs> you know? Um, Bring back fins. That's what I want. <laughs> I'll also say uh, LA saw an 85% jump compared with the year before. Um, so basically they're saying... They're trying to like save on costs by not including these devices in their car. Gonna have to bring back the club. Yeah. <laughs> you remember that old chestnut? Your car club? Yeah, the car clubs where you would put the little hook thing in the oh. steering wheel. So you can't turn the steering wheel, bitch. I just solved your problem. I remember those. <laughs> you can hotwire it all you want, and you can't turn the fucking wheel. It's not gonna go. Yeah. So <laughs> so basically they're suing them for public nuisance. Oh my God, saying, someone needs to get on TikTok and say this is how you solve this problem. <laughs> I would not be surprised if somebody has has not already. Um, so I just I found that really interesting because I think from a legal perspective, it's going to be an interesting case because you're trying to like hold a car manufacturer accountable for the making fact that safe they're cars, dumb right? and they do not make their car the right way. But at the same time, like they're I mean, obviously, they're saying public nuisance because they're having to spend in uh, excessive resources, stuff, yeah. right, mm-hmm. to deal with the issue. So, like, I kind of get it from that perspective. But at the same time, like, capitalism, yo, this is what y'all wanted. So, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. that's <laughs> that's kind of where I'm at. So, interesting case. Might keep an eye on it in the next uh, couple of <laughs> years, maybe. Yeah, I'm pretty sure didn't one of them have a manufacturer's recall? Yeah, I got a notice <laughs> yeah. on my car. Actually, I need to take it in. But, yeah, I did... Just a couple weeks ago, it mm-hmm. came in the mail um, that was specifically referring to the uh, car Even safety. yours. Yeah. Yeah. And mine's a 2013. Huh. Yeah. Well, then. Yeah. So technology is not that great. It's real. Maybe no, it's there not. shouldn't be as many computers I have a couple of, in your car. Yeah, right. <laughs> I have a couple of recalls, actually, I need mm-hmm. to deal with. Um, that was my apprehension in getting a new Jeep. I was like, it's too the recalls. Com- no, it's oh. too computery. Oh, I'm like, it, yeah. The more computer chips you have in your car, you know, the nicer the car is to drive. Mm-hmm. But then the easier it is for it to steal and to fail and to get hacked. Yeah. Frankly. And then you have to remove and change everything, which is yeah. fucking dumb. Yeah. And frankly, <laughs> like the computer components of it are very expensive to oh, yeah. fix. Mm-hmm. It's insane. So anyway, that's New York City. <laughs> this is old people corner. <laughs> More old people corner. <laughs> AI's taking over the cards. We already did a bit on Chad GPT. So um, all right, moving on to Netflix and Kill. This week we are talking about victim slash suspect. Have you watched this? I don't think so. You should. (laughs) It's. I've kind of lost track of some of the stuff. Yeah, this is one. You know, I'm starting to go through some of the stuff that's on my list. Mm -hmm. Um, and this is one that's sort of been on there for a while. Um, it is by oh, what is her name? Nancy Schwartzman, who also did Roll Red Roll. If you remember I do that. remember that. Mm-hmm. So this actually follows a journalist from the Center for Investigative Reporting, Rachel DeLeon, who... Wait, yes, I did see this. See, okay. I didn't remember the yeah. name of it. I'm like, wait, no, this is... Rem- I remember yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> if you listen to, like, Reveal, I mm-hmm. love... Honestly, it's a fantastic podcast to listen to. Um, she works for that organization. She actually... Um, was investigating this, I think, for a piece on Reveal that they eventually yes. did. and um, she was conflicted. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So 
the gist of it is, is uh, De Leon is looking into instances in which a victim claims or alleges that they are raped. Mm-hmm. Um, and then very quickly soon after, police sort of start treating them as a suspect and alleging that they are making it up. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of those cases, um, just to get out of the situation, the person will plead guilty to filing a false report, even though the rape or assault actually happened, and sort of the prevalence of this kind of thing happening. Mm-hmm. It was really interesting. They do sort of look at it through three, I think, specific cases. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause obviously there's a lot of people who want to remain anonymous and not, you know, uh, understandably so because this is fucking traumatizing and re-traumatizing. Re-traumatizing. And then, <laughs> then yeah. they tell you that you're lying. <laughs> yeah. And, and as soon as that happens, like your name is being released to the media and, to everywhere you become this sort of pariah right now that's not you know it's not to say false reporting doesn't happen but i don't think it happens as frequently as what they are trying to make it seem like which is all the time Mm -hmm. um and of course this is happening during the height of the me too movement there was a very strong pushback from some law enforcement agencies as far as these sorts of allegations coming out mm-hmm. anyway so that's kind of the general overview thoughts it was very traumatic to watch yeah and the police officers involved like mm-hmm. the interrogations that they did to some of these young young fucking girls yeah were disgusting yeah and all i ever think about when i see this is like I wish, because I don't even know that I would have had the sense at that age to think of this, but, like, even when you're making a report like that, it's handy to have an attorney or a victim's advocate or, like, mm-hmm. something, which is not something that nearly all of these people got. And no. even when they did, Especially it was not effective. the areas in which they're living, you yeah. know, like... Yeah. Highly unlikely that a victim's advocate would even be available. Right. The fact that they, they did... There was, like, one instance where the victim's advocate was available, but then... She left at like some point, and that's kind of the instance when the interview turned, turned uh, quite a bit. So, like, you know, obviously, if those resources were available, things I think would have gone a lot differently, but not everybody knows to ask for that or to, mm-hmm. you know, they're just trying, they think they're going in to report a crime against them. And next thing you know, you're a suspect. Mm-hmm. It's not great. And how quickly. They didn't even investigate really some of those cases and just turned it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, some of one of the cases that they talk about had to do with an influential member of the community that was sort of like well known by the police. And he got a lot different treatment than a normal person would, I would say. Yep. Uh, I definitely think it's worth watching. I think (laughs) it's a really interesting look at this. Again, a docu- I've been watching a lot of documentaries rather than series recently. So, like, I've been going between documentaries and Vanderpump Rules. Oh, girl. <laughs> yeah. Did I you hop on the Scandival train? Yeah. <laughs> no, I just, I don't have Peacock. Mm. Oops. I'll, I'll wait for <laughs> Wani to put it on the Plex and then. There you go. Because <laughs> I have a feeling 
it's I it's try to go back to the beginning and start oh yeah I started watching it from the beginning and I'm like I'm just gonna skip to the season and then go back because nah. I like I know what happens and I want to I just want to see what happens because yeah. yeah, I know yeah, what yeah. happens you know yeah <laughs> anyway um that is victim slash suspect on Netflix check it out this is that part of the show where we say content might not be appropriate for all, for all listeners. Gosh, my mouth is moving faster than my brain today. Um, part for the course. <laughs> we, I mean, this one's kind of fun. I'm talking about some pretty serious shit, but like, it's still kind of fun. I mean, is, is yours old timey too? Yeah. yeah so yeah. when you're in the old timey times, it's fun. Doesn't count. <laughs> no, it's too removed to yeah. be serious. What are we talking about today, Janelle? Vicky! No. Are you ready to go to the Wild Wild West? Boy, howdy am I! Wicky, wicky, Wild Wild West. Uh, <laughs> we have to do... We have to do that version only. <laughs> oh, my. Um, yes, we're going back to the Wild West to talk about more crimes because, I mean, hello. It's full of them. Yes. I can't stop my fascination with, like, old-timey Western culture. I know it's really fucked up. But, like, it is really fucked up, and that's why it's so interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so for this particular episode, we're going to go to post-Civil War era Kansas. Okay. So buckle up that saddle. Okay. Hitch, hitch it. Hitch and, your horses. And giddy up. <laughs> giddy up. So just so you have a Wait, little background. Post-Civil War. Kansas. Kansas. So what time, like, what years would that be? 1870s. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Because the Civil War is 1860s. Okay. You're welcome. Girl. I'm going to give you some historical This is not, this is. To a, put it in the scene right Let's here. be real. History is not my yeah. forte. Yes. Nor is geography, so. So, um, Kansas kind of started becoming a state a little bit before the Civil War. And this okay. is where we see a lot of issues happening. So, before the Civil War officially kicked off, the U.S. was, like, really, really growing by leaps and bounds of stolen land. Of course. And... <laughs> Like we do. Yeah, there was this pesky little bill that was passed that did not allow any future states coming into the Union to be slaveholding states. Yes. And this is how Kansas became a state. And this is what started what was called the era of bleeding Kansas. Okay. So you're like, what the fuck? If a lot of people aren't familiar. Yeah. Um, It was a wave of violent civil confrontations in Kansas amongst anti and pro-slavery groups. Okay. So Kansas was not a slave state. And they wanted it to be. And there were lots of these groups kind of, you know, causing basically terrorism against each other. Yeah. Um, murdering people in the streets. Like straight. That's why it's called Bleeding Kansas. Mur- like murdering people in the streets. Like you do. Like you do in the old timey times. Yep. And why this is so fucking important to this is that this is one of the many things that led up to the Civil War it ravaged the South and the West, like Texas got fucked over, Oklahoma, Kansas, like all of these states that were starting to become just barely being states. Yeah. Um, and this is what made the story I'm going to talk about so sensationalized and really just like part of the old West, like romantic kind of idea of the time period we're going to talk about the bloody benders okay and i this isn't like a fun name for dysentery this is a family that's nasty (laughs) that's not even that's not even a fun fun name it's a gross name that's gross i don't like that i've got the bloody benders i don't like that that implies bloody diarrhea exactly if you drink contaminated water that's what you're getting bloody benders i don't want it 
I'm get glad that, you don't want get it. Get that <laughs> phrase away from me. I don't like it. So the Benders were a family of people who oh. arrived. It was the name. That was that's their how, last name. That's how unfortunate. It's how very unfortunate. unfortunate. They arrived in Kansas in October of 1870. Um, it was two men who came first named John Gebart and John Bender. They arrived to the Osage Township in the southeast corner of Kansas. They seemed to be related. The older man spoke pretty much nothing but German. Okay. Um, knew a couple phrases in English. The two were looking for a claim thanks to the old Homestead Act. Are you familiar with the Homestead Act? Yes. Okay. For those listeners who are not... If you were um, someone coming and you wanted some land, they were going to grant you 160-ish acres of land to anyone who was willing to farm it. Mm-hmm. So this is why we had tons of waves of immigrant immigrants coming at this time, because they were taking advantage of the Homestead Act. And this is a really great way to gentrify, I guess, gentrify the West. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what how else to say yeah. it. Um, they were like, let these people die and gentrify the West for us. Yeah. And then we can have all the big city people come in and live there. Yeah. More like, it's like, <laughs> yeah, like settling. Stealing? Steal. Jets, jets, yeah. Jets, 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 it's stealing, but in <laughs> the eyes of the U.S., uh-huh. I would say settling the West, probably. Yes. So the Bender family was one of those immigrant families who came over from Germany, which wasn't actually Germany at the time. Germany has a weird history. It's all weird anyway, um, Europe. <laughs> yeah, Europe. Oh. Um, they came over, and they were looking for uh, somewhere to settle. In addition to John and John... There was Elvira and Kate. Kate, okay, this is where it gets really confusing. There is not a whole lot of information on where this family came from or their background or how they were even related. So this is really like hardcore allegedly information, okay? Which is, you know what? I'm just going to say here, very common of this time period. Mm -hmm. Lots of like extravagant, exciting stories. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Allegedly, Kate was the daughter of John and Elvira. Um, There were accounts that the other John was married to Kate. However, the documentation that I looked at stated that John and Kate were the children of John and Elvira. It's all very confusing. Okay. (laughs) So possibly brother and sister. Possibly possibly husband and wife. wife. Germany. Brother, husband, (laughs) sister, wife. Germany. Germany. (laughs) Um, I'm sorry to every German. Yeah, right. Um, it's all very, very confusing. You can try to map it out in your head, but just just don't. go with it. Yeah. Um, they built a homestead cabin just off the Osage Trail, and they opened their doors to wayward travelers going down the trail. Now, I have in the notes a picture. Um, there was actually some documentation considering the time period of their homestead. So if you do want to take a look at it, we'll link it as well. But it's fucking small. Okay. And... I don't know how they would host people here because the house is like the size of a bedroom. Oh. <laughs> it's very tiny. Oh, my. Um, they would build this tiny fucking house. It's a micro home. You know, now it's chic. This Back is like the was... pre, pre-tiny pre house? Yes. Okay. Um, they would build this tiny house and then eventually would come a, a barn, a corral, and a well. So they were really building up the, the home area. After the farm was established is when Kate came to live there with Elvira. So the men came, they got their their place, they built the house, and then the women came over, which is very common. Right. Now, the 
Younger daughter Kate was also a spiritualist, which was really popular at the time. This is the beginning of when spiritualism was like all the rage. Mm. She became a really big draw to the homestead in addition to it being off the Osage Trail. There were very few places to stop on the Osage Trail. Um, the Benders was like the big main one. And then on top of that, you have this girl who would, you know, predict your future. So it became like kitschy and fun, you know, yeah. like, a, you know <laughs> like a roadside attraction. Yeah, like yeah. a roadside attraction. It was, it was interesting. Yeah. Um, now, this was in quote unquote Indian country at the same time of the Oregon Trail. Osage is actually a Native American group. It's That's how it's translated. That's not their actual name. But they called it the trail, uh, Osage Trail, to let you know that you're passing through, quote, unquote, Indian country. Okay. Now, lots and lots and lots and lots of people did not make it all the way out west. <laughs> yes, I would say <laughs> um, so. Largely due to starvation, injury, run-ins with outlaws and Native American tribes, and, of course, just plain old murder. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Honestly, dysentery killed most people. Yeah. Yes. That little bloody bender joke was a reality. So still gross. Yeah. Still really gross. Um, the family was a bit of a mystery to the locals uh, of the nearest town, Cherryvale. The older woman in the family, Elvira, allegedly also did not speak much English. Older Bender obviously did not speak English. And things got really, really weird after Elvira and Kate came to the U.S., in May of 1871, a man was found along the creek bed close to the Osage Trail with his throat slashed and his skull crushed. Oh, boy. By 1872, there had been two more bodies found by the creek with throats slashed and skulls crushed. Locals thought it was horse thieves or some kind of like rambling band of marauders. And in 1872, the brother of Kansas Senator Dr. William York went missing near Independence, Kansas. What if it's ghosts? It could be ghosts. Ghosts of all the indigenous people you murdered, probably. Right. Um, <laughs> it is said that William York had mentioned to a friend that he was going to visit the Benders, who ran that little, you know, um, kind of stopping point. B&B. Yeah. <laughs> B&D is more like it. Oh, God. Bed and death. Oh, God. <laughs> Um, the Bender's home was used also as a kind of a grocery store so you could get supplies, an inn for you to stay, and a makeshift saloon. So, like, all these things and more Yeah, um, in this tiny fucking little house. Now, when William York came up missing, his brother, who was Colonel York and also a US, U.S. senator, sent a brigade to find him. So you have rich man went missing. We need all the troops. Okay. Yep. <laughs> it's starting to sound very familiar. Yeah. Now he hired a group of men, all of the Pinkertons. Okay. To go around finding information about where his brother had went. They were just going through Kansas, beating up people, harassing fellow spiritualists in the area. <laughs> First, they started by assaulting the Bender's neighbor, the Roaches. <laughs> And then it was alleged around this time that the Bender family disappeared. Oh. Reports state that the Benders went missing about three weeks before anyone noticed. And right around the time when York and his posse were coming in, beating people, trying to find where his brother went. On April 6th, a wagon was discovered abandoned on the Osage Trail that was labeled grocery on the side of it. This was thought to be the Bender's wagon. Um, a few days after this, a man approached the homestead of the Benders, and it was completely abandoned. There was a half-starved calf in the barn. The home was emptied out halfway. There were burned clothes in the yard burn pit. 
and there were bullet holes in the side of the home. There was also a blood-soaked headboard just hanging out. (laughs) Seriously? just Yep, just hanging out in the house. Now, the authorities were immediately called. (laughs) Good. Um, Upon first coming up to the house, they're like, oh, the family was murdered. Like, this looks like the family was murdered. But upon further investigation, they went out into the property to see if maybe someone had, like, buried the family. They were really thinking, like, someone came in, which happened a lot, unfortunately, at this time period in the West. Someone comes in, takes all your shit, murders you, and buries you, and that's it. You're done. Yeah. Now, when they went out to the orchard that had just started growing, they were kind of looking around, and they found some overturned dirt, and they came across a dozen bodies. Holy shit. Okay. <laughs> and they were like, wow, I oh, was not expecting that. Um, these are decomposed and a couple fresh ones and none of them match the identities of the family. Oh my God. There are so many theories already <laughs> running through my mind. Okay. So we don't think they were killed. Okay. <laughs> now, once word got out that the murders on the homestead, you know, there were tons of people. People in the area started flocking there. This is a very classic thing that had happened at this time period. Yeah. Um, let's go watch the murder investigation. Right? And even worse, let's take stuff. Yeah. Because Maybe that's I can what get happened. a souvenir, a piece of wood from the bloodied headboard. Uh-huh. So yeah. people in droves, and I shit you not, reports of between 1,000 to 3,000 people visited the homestead after the bodies were found and took items and like fucked the shit up like traipsed through all of the evidence they were like picking apart the literal cabin taking boards from the cabin taking bricks and stone from the home's foundation (laughs) just they literally tore it apart for souvenirs wow Several weeks after the bodies were discovered and basically the entire homestead was dismantled, Addison Roach and his son-in-law, William Buxton, were arrested as accessories. Now, these were the neighbors of the Benders, and they were the first family that was harassed when York came to town looking for his brother. Okay. So they were arrested as accessories in the murders of the Benders or of the the people people found at the Benders' stead? Um, In total, 12 men of quote-unquote bad repute in general would be arrested in relation to all of the bodies found on the homestead. Okay. (laughs) Now, there were, you know, this is the Wild West. Yeah. And this is when people were just, like, taking rumors at face value. Yes. Most of the time, not true or accurate. Right. You can't really identify someone because, like, there's no photographic evidence. This is just a description. And, like, everyone who had a beard looked exactly the fucking same. So, like... Yeah. What is justice? What um, is it? <laughs> so these there were reports that these men helped hide bodies and sell off stolen goods. So that's what they were getting arrested for was accessories to murder okay. Okay. and selling stolen items. It was confirmed that eventually they found that the family had bought tickets on the Leavenworth Lawrence and Galveston Railroad that was headed towards Humboldt. It was reported by witnesses that John and Kate left the train and caught another train um, to Red River County near Denison, Texas. From there, it is alleged that they were brought to New Mexico via Texas. There are reports that the elder benders did not leave the train at Humboldt, but instead continued towards Kansas City, where it is believed they purchased tickets to St. Louis, Missouri. 
Okay. And then there were also rumors around this time after they reached St. Louis that John um, Jr. had died. So there's all of these like kind of ghost stories happening. And there were people reporting that they saw them, but nothing actually 100% confirmed. Now, by 1884, um, this is like 14 years later. (laughs) Yeah. An elderly man matching John Bender Sr.'s description was arrested in Montana for a murder committed near Salmon, Idaho. Okay. Where the victim had been killed by a hammer blow to the head. Sound familiar? Yeah. Sounds like all the men they found in the creek. Yeah. Um, a message requesting positive identification was sent to the Cherryvale area, but the suspect, who was thought to be John Bender, had actually accidentally got his foot cut off when he was trying to escape his leg irons. Oh, my God. And bled to death. Oh, great. Okay, cool. So by the time deputies from Cherryvale arrived, identification was impossible because he was already decomposed. Yeah. Because we're talking about, like, telegraphs going across states in the 1870s, and you have to hitch a horse or a wagon. No refrigeration. Takes months to get there. Preserve the body. yeah. Yeah. So they were in Montana coming from like missouri to montana that's a long oh yeah that's, that's a long, a long way. way um without roads depending and on the time of year like if it was getting close to winter you don't want to go to certain areas at certain times so it right. took a long fucking time right so they couldn't confirm or deny if this was john bender and there were no things on the man that had his identification um despite the lack of identification the man's skull was taken and displayed as the skull of Pa Bender in a salmon saloon in Idaho until Prohibition forced the closure of the saloon in which the skull disappeared. Yeah, that all tracks. Um, that all tracks. <laughs> so who knows if that was him or not? Yeah. Now, fast forward to 1889. Okay. A few years later, two women were extradited from Detroit on suspicion of being Kate and Elvira Bender. Ooh. The women went by the names Elmira Monroe and Sarah Eliza Davis. Um, They were originally arrested in Detroit um, for larceny. Once they were released from that crime, they were immediately (laughs) rearrested. Sarah allegedly told the police during her custody that Elmira was Ma Bender, but that she was one of their other children and not Kate. Okay. They're like, I'm one of the other kids that they had. This is actually Elvira Bender. Yeah. Arrest her. (laughs) Arrest her? Yeah. Not me. A few people were called to positively identify these people, and she was identified as Ma Bender. Wow. And they were sent to Kansas. Now, upon arrival, the trial was scheduled for February, and um, they were kind of working on it, trying to get additional information to positively identify them. Um, so the the uh, trial didn't happen until May. Okay. An affidavit signed by another one of the daughters of the Benders stated that in 1872, at the time of the Bender murders, where Elvira would have been in Missouri... This woman, who was named Elmira, was already in jail serving two years in Detroit in the correctional facility for the manslaughter of her daughter-in-law, Emily Mark. Okay. (laughs) So this woman, who was arrested on larceny charges with her daughter, was in jail in 1872 when the Bender murders were happening for killing her daughter-in-law. So she's not Elvira. No. 
But she's also a murderer. Yes, but she okay, is cool. also a murderer. Cool, cool, cool. All right, all Their right. Attorney then produced a marriage certificate indicating that she was Mrs. Davis and had been married in Michigan in 1872 before murdering her daughter-in-law. Okay, well then. So, honeymoon, honey, I killed your daughter. <laughs> Weird. So obviously she couldn't be Elvira Bender if she was right. in jail in fucking Michigan at the time. Right. Their defense lawyer even stated in closing arguments that although these women were most certainly cheats and liars, they were not the Benders. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> although these shade. women were arrested the for larceny shade. and murder, and they were just cheating and scamming. Yeah. They're not the Benders. Oh, my God. So the case was dismissed, and these two women were cleared. And after this, there were a few other instances of sightings of the alleged Benders. There was reports that the Kelly family in Missouri was actually the benders but there was no real evidence of that in a weird fucking twist you know laura ingles wilder yeah you know yeah little house yeah on all that prairie yeah all the prairie she casually mentions in a couple of her books that her father went and these are like books that she wrote about her her time in the west okay um she casually mentions that her father was one of the people hunting for the bender family oh like fucking crazy bonkers it's a weird connection right yeah <laughs> now there are no reports of them actually ever being found but there is a room dedicated to the bloody benders in the cherryvale historic historical museum in missouri and in the room dedicated to this there is photographs and items from the benders including a case with three hammers that allegedly were part of the crimes um and there is now also a historical marker where the homestead used to be and it is owned by a man who will give you a tour of the area if you so desire but the benders have now become just an old ghost story of the wild, wild west. Wow. As it should be. Yep. That's crazy. Yeah. I'll be Almost honest. Not what I was real. expecting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I first, when I first read about this years ago, yeah. um, I thought this is bullshit. But yeah. then I was like, oh my God, there's a museum and shit. Have you been to it? I have not. No, I tend not to go to Missouri. No. Or Kansas. No. No, I try not to. <laughs> yeah. The area that they were at is right where the Kansas and Missouri, like, meet. Yeah. So a lot of their homestead actually was kind of blended over into Missouri. Gotcha. So it's a little bit weird. Yeah. But, yeah, if you go into the Kansas City area on either side of Kansas or Missouri, like, bloodbath. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So I decided there's so many, so many choice Wild West stories to pick from. I just keep going back because there's just so much. There's, and they're all like 
like juicy. equally as juicy, mm-hmm. equally as interesting. So I decided to go with Boone Helm, Ooh, the Kentucky cannibal. Ooh. <laughs> yes, because this seems right up my alley. And I will say it is a shorter story, but you know how it is with old timey things, mm-hmm. you know, lost to the ages. Exactly. <laughs> and a lot of this, like yours, is like stories told by people to right. other people Just who then re- yeah. yeah, yeah, situation. Mm-hmm. So Boonhelm, his full name was Levi Boonhelm, uh, was born in 1828 in Kentucky and eventually moved to a new it was like a new at the time settlement in Missouri. Mm-hmm. These, like you said, were like very clearly early days of the nation, early, early days. So just to provide some context, um, just a few years before Helm was born, Missouri had been granted statehood. They also ran into some of the same issues uh, about slavery states. Mm-hmm. Um, Illinois did, which is really gross to think about. I know. Yeah. And there was also like the Missouri Compromise, which then ended mm-hmm. up getting thrown out anyway. And yep. some, yeah. So there was all of History. <laughs> that going on. There was also, so something that I find interesting during this time period. Y'all know about the Mormons? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, the Mormons be tearing it up in yeah. this time period. So there, like, is this Mecca? Or is this Mecca? <laughs> yeah. So there there was, it was in 1838, or I'm sorry, um, it was a little bit after that, I think in the 1840s. Uh, there's this big to-do about, um, oh, no, 1838. There's big to-do about Mormons in the area. Um, they had allegedly at the time, like, attacked a group that they thought was coming to attack them, essentially, mm-hmm. that was, like, encroaching on their land. People were so afraid of them settling. Yeah. Like, they were just like, get out of here. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> so they had, like, gone and settled this area that didn't really have anybody in it and were there for a while before they started having sort of issues mm-hmm. because of the whole polygamy thing. Just, yeah. All it was mainly multiple lives. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't just about that. And there's also a lot of internal conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, but like People trying to take over. They're like, yeah. Put the polygamy on the back burner. <laughs> yeah. You know, you had the whole Joseph Smith, Brigham Young kind of de- anyway. Yeah. Um, Mormon history is nuts. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's honestly, if you want so- a good spot, that's true crime and also Mormon history Watch or read Under the Banner of Heaven. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Because that they do actually go into a lot of like the Mormon background because the it does. The TV show version was actually yes. pretty good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they do a great job of explaining. So if you want to like feed both. Yeah. Itches, Vicky, are you aware that the Illinois, this particular area that we're in, are, is actually like a haven for people who've left the Mormon church? Yeah. I'll get to that. Yeah. Hold I, on. <laughs> I know a few people at work. Yeah. Well, and part <laughs> of that, again, part of that is like. Because during this time, they had so they were in Missouri, but it's, it's it was like right on the Missouri Illinois border. Mm-hmm. So it's Illinois is actually like a big place for Mormon history itself. Mm-hmm. So in 1838, there was an extermination order that was issued, which ultimately pushed the Mormons from this area into Utah. That's like kind of the mm-hmm. so I'm not surprised that that we're like a haven for ex Mormons because like. This was also kind of where they were pushed out of. So, like, I'm not surprised people would come back here to get away from them, Mm -hmm. essentially. But it was still this sort of very, very much an early time of, like, lawlessness and also figuring out how to run things Mm -hmm. as far as, like, law enforcement goes. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, as he moved into adulthood, Helm 
became a real root and tootin' vermin. Um, according to Bakerville, quote, the rough pursuits of border life were congenial to his tastes. And as a young man, he became known for his great physical strength and his rowdyism. He delighted in nothing more than a quarrel, which would bring his prowess into full display. Oh, yikes. Those yeah. words. <laughs> I know. That was very... Um, Old timing. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he was like looking for fights all the time. And when I say into adulthood, I'm talking like 17, 18, yeah, that's adult- 19. Don't yeah. very long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was also reportedly quite the drinker. <laughs> It wasn't at this time period. Yeah. I mean, really. <laughs> yeah. And um, at some point, Helm decided he wanted to move uh, and set or, settle farther west in like Texas or in California. And he had made this plan to move with a friend and neighbor, Littleberry Shoot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> great right that's good little berry shoot um some had said that shoot agreed to this in order to pacify him on a night that he was like particularly drunk like Mm -hmm. he was like you're going with me and he's like sure buddy whatever you say and he held on to that Mm -hmm. um and so when helm found out that shoot had in fact no intention of leaving Mm -hmm. missouri the exchange reportedly went like this oh boy okay so helm said uh, so little Burry, you've backed down on the Texas question, have you? <laughs> Shoot, attempting an explanation explanation was stopped by the peremptory demand. Well, are you going or not? Say yes or no. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hard no for me, sir. <laughs> a hard no. When Shoot said no, Helm stabbed him in the ribs, killing him, <laughs> in- <laughs> killing him instantly, and fleeing. I thought they were friends. You don't stab your friends. He said no. He promised he'd go. (laughs) He promised he'd go and then he told me no. So now he's got to die. Oh my God. Yeah. So he, yeah, he stabs his friend and then leaves. Um, So then, as happens, a group of men, including the uh, shoot's brother, sets off in pursuit of Helm and they eventually capture him and return him to Monroe County where he stood trial for shoot's murder. Helm was convicted, but there was some serious question about his sanity, even at this time. And rather than sending him to prison, he was instead sent to a lunatic asylum that he eventually escaped from and left for California. He's only there for like a week. Oh, and it was wow. like, this is a wild ride. Okay. <laughs> Peace out. I'm going to Cali. Mm-hmm. So the next part, again, seems to be a bit hazy because like it's 1800s. Record keeping is not so great. Um, so once Helm escaped to California, all that we know, this is all I could found, find, was that he killed, quote, several men in various altercations. You got to. You got to blaze through there. Right. Mm-hmm. I imagine their bar fights, probably some robbing of people mm-hmm. on his travels. Yeah. Like. Like the cartoon. Like. Just shooting. Shoot, literally. Shoot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so other than that, not much is known about those particular murders. But somehow, as with his other crimes, he managed to flee arrest and ended up in the Oregon Territory. Okay. So the next chapter of Helm's life starts with a man named John W. Powell, who met Helm along with five other people that he had been traveling with. Um, Powell describes Helm showing up at his lodging on April 10th, 1859, 
Helm had said that he was attacked by a party of indigenous natives who stayed in combat with them for a while. They were just like chasing him down and attacking him for a couple miles. Uh, Helm also said that they had been long out of provisions. Uh, they, at this point in time, this group of them had been traveling like through the winter months. So they had some provisions. They were able to sort of like find abandoned or empty forts, barns, whatever, yeah. and kind of get some stuff from there. But they were like out of provisions. So much so that they eventually had to eat the horses. Um, this and is going then downhill quickly. <laughs> making good use of their hides for snowshoes. Okay. All of this is sort of a pretty meandering story that had some people left behind because they like didn't want to slow the rest of the group down. Mm-hmm. One man who he had been traveling with, one of the last men that he had been traveling with, committed suicide so as not to endanger the other people. Mm-hmm. Helm himself at some point was run out of Salt Lake City mm-hmm. uh, due to his criminal past and because while he was there, he murdered two people. And so they were like, get out of our town. Oh, yeah. Uh, and he eventually ends up on the doorstep of Powell, who gives him shelter and essentially saves the life of a man that he's completely under- unaware is like a full on murderer and is just going to keep on murdering after Maybe he leaves. Maybe I can change him. Yeah. No idea. Is like this guy just showed up, gives him shelter mm-hmm. and and then he leaves. Right. They also talk about like. Helm, although he probably, I think I saw somewhere he probably had like $14 on him, which at that time, pretty much a lot 14, of money. Yeah. 14 bucks a lot. He never said thank you, never paid him to like say it. So he just like peaced out and was like, mm-hmm. thanks, bro. See you never. Mm-hmm. So he leaves. There's also reports uh, that the gang of people that Helm had hooked up with at some point were told by Helm that he had eaten all or part of his victims, saying, mm-hmm. quote, many's the poor devil I've killed at one time or another, and the time has been that I've been obliged to feed on some of them. Okay. <laughs> so definitely there, a choice. Yeah. So, th- so there's that. Helm eventually ends up in San Francisco, where he takes advantage of another rancher's kindness who had allowed him shelter at his home. Unfortunately, this time Helm murdered the rancher and then leaves, traveling to back up to Oregon where he made money robbing people, leaving some of them for dead. Uh, it's important to remember that like during this time period, especially in th- all of this area in the West, there's all these miners and mining mm-hmm. camps and stuff. So you have people traveling with like a shit ton of gold in some places, yep. which also just means more people getting robbed mm-hmm. because of the gold. Like that's the gold rush, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so there's a report from 1862 of Helm killing Helm killing a man named Dutch Fred. I don't know where these, these names come from. Names. I know, I know, yeah. they're so good. Um, the I two- assume he was Dutch. <laughs> no idea. Couldn't tell you, but I'm going to assume so too. Uh, the two had been at a saloon and apparently without being provoked, Helm shot the unarmed Dutch Fred in cold blood and fled, um, hooking up with another fugitive at some point. So while fleeing, Helm faced another cold winter trek 
very few provisions, and reportedly ate his travel companion. Cause what a horrible vacation! <laughs> I hate it here. It's cold, and I'm hungry. So that I don't. Know. He's just very. I mean, I get it. Very was hungry. Diff- I get it was a different time, and like you know, survival had a very different meaning. Mm-hmm. But still, that's eating people. Sure is. <laughs> Helm was eventually captured by authorities, um, and he was brought in for to be charged for his various crimes. But he had another trick up his sleeve. Oh God! He turns out Helm was one of twelve siblings. Okay, and so he reached out to his brother, Old Tex. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I guess old Tex must have been rolling in the dough because he pretty much swooped in, paid off all of the witnesses, and made it so that authorities didn't have any witnesses to try any cases. And so they weren't able to bring any charges and released him. Although, I mean, I've heard of people being convicted on less, but whatever. (laughs) Whatever. So Helm leaves with his older, uh, his brother, old Tex, and they go to Texas. But it didn't take long for him to return to his old stomping grounds in the West. He's like not big on Texas and to continue his killing spree out in that direction. This time he found friends uh, as much as you can in as, low an, places. as an outlaw, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, with Henry Plummer. Are you familiar? That's the most normal name I've heard this entire Maybe story. Maybe Plummer, but probably Plummer. Um, <laughs> and the rest of his gang. So apparently, and again, I'm not like super well versed in old-timey Wild West stuff, Mm -hmm. but apparently Henry Plummer is, like, a big name when it comes to outlaws. Mm -hmm. So he kind of hooks up with uh, Henry Plummer and his gang. Apparently, so I did a little research into into Henry Plummer. Apparently he was a sheriff in Montana who was also the leader of a gang of outlaws who robbed shipments everywhere from, basically everywhere from Virginia to Montana. Mm. So this huge, like, robbing, like... Network. Network, yeah. Outfit of criminals. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Helm was traveling with Plummer's gang when they were arrested, and they were actually tried in secret. (laughs) Okay. During the trial, (laughs) Helm accused a friend of his many, many crimes that he had, in fact, committed himself. He was just like, this guy. Um, the story also led me to look into the Montana vigilantes. Have you ever heard of those guys? Mm-mm. So there were at the time, like back in the 1800s, due to a lack of law enforcement across pretty much territories that were not super well established. Right. Yeah. They were not even close to statehood. No, yeah. no, no, no. Um, so all in place of that, all of these vigilante groups, mm-hmm. sp- popped up and they were essentially sanctioned by who all you had to do is have a marshal or a sheriff from anywhere else go deputized yeah <laughs> yeah so you had all these vigilante groups popping up um as sort of their own law enforcement and then when an actual like established law enforcement started being organized and put into place you really saw a decline in these types of vigilante groups mm-hmm. so They would go out at the time, especially the Montana vigilantes. They were looking for people who were called road agents or the people who were preying on shipments that were going across territories. Mm -hmm. So 
Helm was found guilty of all of the crimes that he had committed, essentially, <laughs> and was hanged by the Montana vigilantes. They actually carried out the execution. The execution took place on January 14th, 1864 in Virginia City, Montana. Helm was one of several members of the gang hanged that day in front of a crowd of upwards of 6,000 people. What else are you going to do on a Sunday? Go to a public <laughs> execution, of yeah, course. Uh, the... Uh, the executioner was getting ready to carry out Helms' execution when he yelled, every man for his principles, hurrah for Jeff Davis, let her rip, and then <laughs> jumped off the box before he could kick the box out from under his feet. Of course. I die on my own terms. Yeah. Yeah. There was also, I mean, they were. Ta- I saw an article talking about these executions. They were talking about him um, making a joke that he was going to, like, take somebody's jacket after he was dead. And, like, yeah, yeah. It was... Wild guy. Um, if you feel so inclined, you can visit Boonhelm's grave at the Boot Hill Cemetery in Virginia City, Montana. Still there. It's an old timey cemetery. Um, I love an old timey cemetery. But that is the story of Boonhelm. Yeehaw. Yeehaw. <laughs> uh, if I, I, if you're going out west, I guess listen to this podcast while you. It's gonna be a long trek. While you, <laughs> what do they call that? Um, round up your cattle. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Hi, I'm Lainey, host of the new podcast. We're all just pretending. It's a podcast that has elements of Dear Abby with a twist of Post Secret. Every episode, I'll read listener questions and provide advice and insight as a friend. My own pod friends will even join in and offer their advice on parenting, relationships, and even give you really bad advice on purpose. Since we all have secrets to share, there'll also be a segment focusing on letting the skeletons out of your closet. If you're looking for advice or want to share a secret, head to allpretendingpod.com. And remember, we're all just pretending here. (laughs) Oh my god. You can tell I am not made for the West at <laughs> all. Not even in the slightest. Uh, only the Will Smith version. Only, yes. <laughs> so that has been our episode. Uh, Janelle, do you have anything to wrap up with? No. <laughs> Any last thoughts? No. Nope. Concerns? No. Nope. Feelings? <laughs> tired. <laughs> yep, I yeah. feel tired. All right. Well, with that, our sound and editing is by Tiff Fullman. Our music is by Jason Zakshevsky, the Enigma. This has been the Bad Taste Crime Podcast. We will see you in two weeks. So long, partner. Adios, muchachos. There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs>